think I'm on. Yeah. Okay, good. Well, Joyce was asking me earlier in the week what, what we were going to talk or what I was going to talk about today. So, well, I'm going to tell a story, and then we're going to do a few minutes of theology, and then we're going to be heavy on application, because that's really kind of how I view life, right? So uh, that's where we're headed this morning, so we'll start with a story. <clears throat> in the spring of 1988, <coughs> excuse me, there's a young girl named Anissa Ayala. Anissa was a typical teenager in Walnut, California. She'd previously discovered some mysterious lumps around her ankles, but because she had sort of a fear of doctors and an even greater fear of needles, uh, she had held that to herself. She didn't let anybody know. However, shortly after her 16th birthday that year, she experienced such excruciating stomach pain that her parents felt it necessary to rush her to the ER, which they did. <clears throat> there, the teen was subjected to a battery of tests, which included a whole lot of needles. But little did she know that those punctures would end up being the least of her worries. Because a few hours later, the specialists came back with a diagnosis of chronic myelogenous leukemia. Anissa's outlook was grim. Radiation and chemotherapy could put the disease in temporary remission, but the treatments would also destroy her bone marrow, and she'd be unable to replenish her red blood cells. Without a bone marrow transplant, her life expectancy had been reduced from 70 to 80 down to 21. She was going to live five more years if she was lucky. Anissa was immediately entered into the National Bone Marrow Donor Registry, and there were no successful matches. Uh, likewise, her older brother was not a good match, and neither were either of her parents. Anissa's parents were obviously desperate for a solution and decided that maybe they could conceive another child in hopes that that would be a match, although the odds were only one in four that that would even be the case. While that sounded like a good idea to them, they realized they had other odds that were facing them at that moment. The first was that some years earlier, Abe had had a procedure to prevent him from having additional children. And in order to have a child then, he was gonna to have to have that procedure reversed which is not always successful. Moreover, Mary was now 43 years old. And so to state it simply, things looked grim for Anissa. Things were very, very grim at that moment. Nevertheless, six months later, Mary was expecting a baby girl. And when an amniocentesis and tissue typing tests were performed, the couple was overjoyed to discover that this child was in fact a perfect match for their daughter, Anissa. Marissa Ayala was born on April 3rd, 1990. And 14 months later, the doctors inserted an inch-long needle into her hip in order to retrieve some of her bone marrow to give it to her then 19-year-old sister. Anissa made a full recovery from leukemia. And both sisters lead healthy lives today. Anissa even works for the Lymphoma and Leukemia Society where she's able to share her story of hope with others in times of desperate need. In a very real sense, Marissa's birth saved her sister's life. In a 2009 interview, she said, quote, without me being a perfect match for my sister, she would not be here, end quote. As I, as I talk this morning, I want you to keep that image of the perfect match in your mind. 
And now let's look at God's word from Galatians chapter 4, verses 4 and 5. It's in your bulletin. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. This morning I want to unpack just those two verses, phrase by phrase, in order to gain a little better insight into all that uh, I think the Spirit would have us here this morning. But before we do that, let's commit this time to him in prayer. Would you bow with me? God, the miracle of your word, the miracle of Christmas, is that a perfect match was found for each one of us. As we sit here this morning, we recognize that we are recipients of that grace. As we consider your word, Lord, we ask you to speak to our hearts, that we would really think deeply as to what you have accomplished in your advent among us. So use this time, Lord, to draw us to one another and to you, the author and finisher of our faith, in whose name we pray. Amen. God's plan of salvation cannot be understood merely in static terms, as logical system ideas, what we would call systematic theology. It doesn't simply mean that we set about having a perfect doctrine of revelation, or God, or human nature, or Christ, or salvation. Those things are valuable. But I think that God's redemptive work must be understood in the framework of his actions in history. God gave an irrevocable promise to Abraham that there would be a seed that would be from him that would follow for all eternity, that he would be the chosen person. 430 years later, God gave the law through Moses. Still centuries after that, God appointed a kingly line, the line of David, from which a savior would come. And at a time that God had set in eternity past, a perfect time, the time would come that he would send his son. The relationship of these acts of God in history provides the framework for understanding the redemptive work of God. Of course, that doesn't mean we should abandon systematic theology. We need to know what we believe about each of the topics aforementioned. We should develop logical explanations of the meaning of salvation. But we should always remember that the narrative structure of God's work in history is the substructure of all truly biblical theology. At the center of this narrative framework is the Christmas story itself. God sent his son, born of a woman, born under law, to redeem those under law. Here we have a simple confessional statement of the essence of the gospel, the incarnation and birth of Christ, his perfect life of obedience under the law and his redemptive death on the cross. In other words, Jesus is the perfect match for our salvation. Now the phrase, God sent his son, is taken by some interpreters as merely a reference to the prophetic mission of Jesus. As the prophets of old were sent by God, so Jesus was sent by God for a special redemptive mission. Those interpreters argue that the background of this concept would be found in the parable that Jesus tells about the wicked tenants in Mark chapter 12. This is a parable we're all familiar with. The, the vineyard owner is frustrated because the tenants won't pay the rent that's due, and so he sends some of his servants. They, tenants, wicked tenants, kill the servants. 
He finally sends his son and they kill him as well in order to seize the vineyard. Of course, by analogy, the owner of the tenant of the vineyard would be God. The prophets would be the first messengers that were sent. They are killed by the Jewish leaders, who would be the tenants. And then he sends his own son, Jesus, who is also killed. But I think in light of Paul's other references to the pre-existence of the Son of God, we may also see in these verses an affirmation of the deity of Christ. Consider just three of the many examples that Paul has written of in his, in his epistles. For example, 1 Corinthians 8, verse 6, speaks of the advent of Christ this way. Yet for us there is one God, the Father, from within whom all things are and for whom we exist. And one Lord Jesus Christ, through whom are all things and through whom we exist. Or as Larry spoke this morning from Philippians chapter 2, the kenosis passage, have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Or consider Colossians 1, 15 through 17. He, Jesus, is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation, for by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible. Whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. Before the incarnation, the pre-existent son was commissioned by God the Father to set slaves free and make them children of God. And as we sit here this morning, we are recipients of that gift. The next phrase, born of a woman, points to the incarnation and full humanity of Jesus. The Son of God was sent to be one with us in our humanity. He was God's Son, and he was Mary's Son, the one and only God-man. He was also born under law, now, clearly the phrase under law here cannot mean legalism, keeping the law in order to earn one's salvation. Now, Jesus certainly didn't have to live his life under the misconception that he had to keep the law to earn his salvation. To be born under law means to be born a Jew, under obligation to keep the requirements of the Mosaic law. And from his circumcision eight days after his birth to his celebration of the Passover meal just hours before his death, Jesus keeps and the law in every detail therein. His perfect obedience to God the Father, as God's Son born of a woman, fulfilled all the requirements of the law. God's Son took our place as a human being in order to offer perfect obedience to God on our behalf. He is the perfect match for what is required for our salvation. To be born under law also means to experience the curse of the law against all who fail to observe all that the law requires. Although Jesus did fulfill all the requirements of the law, he still experiences all of the conditions of sinful humanity under the curse of the law. He is subject to temptations. He is subject to suffering, 
to loneliness, and finally, on the cross itself, to God-forsakenness and death. So the twofold purpose of God's, God the Son's full participation in our humanity, his perfect fulfillment of the law and his experience of the curse of the law on our behalf is given in the next two phrases that we see here in Galatians. To redeem those under the law that we might receive full rights of sons. Jesus Christ is uniquely qualified to fulfill these two purposes. Because he is the son of God, he is able to give the position and rights of his sonship to sinful people like you and like me. Because he became fully human, he is able to represent and redeem all humankind. And because he rendered perfect obedience to God and bore the curse of God against the disobedient, he is able to redeem those under the law. If being under law means being under obligation to keep the law and under the curse of the law for not keeping it, then to redeem those under the law means to set them free from both the obligation to keep the law and the curse of the law breaking. When Paul says that Jesus was born under law to redeem those under law, he means, as John Calvin put it, that Jesus put on the chains on himself by taking them off of others and putting them on himself. By taking the obligation and curse of the law on himself, he sets us free from both the obligation and the curse of the law. To put it another way, Jesus experiences and knows all that life puts in our way. He understands perfectly, and if we choose to allow him to enter into our experiences, he is the perfect match for our deliverance from any and every circumstance that life may send our way. Jesus was born into the world for the express purpose of saving us. His very name, Yeshua, in Hebrew means the Lord is salvation. That is why the angel that appeared to Joseph told him, you shall call his name Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. Jesus is the one and only Savior that can save all those who put their trust in him. Christmas marks the day we celebrate his birth, and without him there would be no salvation for us. At the perfect time, a perfect child was born. The perfect child grew up and lived a perfect life as a man in order to die a substitutionary death that we might be set free from sin and the resultant eternal death. Now we're two days removed from Christmas and most of us have already started to move on toward New Year's and the end of 2020 and the beginning of 2021. And a lot of folks that I've talked with are glad that 2020 is just about to end. So what awaits the much anticipated turn of the calendar? Let me suggest this morning that just as Jesus is the perfect match for the forgiveness of our sins, he is also the perfect match for every circumstance or circum situation that we may face in the coming year. That is, it's not just about eternal salvation and security in Christ. It's also about the way that we live day to day. What we see modeled in the life of Jesus is that he experienced all the things that we do, yet without sin. And if we're willing to grant Jesus permission 
through the Holy Spirit, I believe that he is the perfect answer in the midst of life's challenges. So what I want to do now is just sort of take a few minutes and, and consider a whole, a wide variety of potential challenges that could come your way in 2021. And talk about how God's words gives us insight as to how we ought to respond. This one will probably suit all of us. Because at some point this year, we're going to be tempted to sin. Before giving in to sin, we need to remind ourselves that Jesus faced temptations just as we did. And when he did, he turned to God's word to rebuff Satan's attacks. So when you are tempted, let me encourage you to look at God's word. Or if you don't have a Bible handy, let me, ref let me, con let me suggest that you consider the principles that you've been taught over these many years that you've been attending church at Byfield. You know those principles. You know what they are. And God's word tells us that we need to take every thought captive before we fall into sin. Now let me be blunt and say, none of us in this room fall into sin by mistake anymore. We don't. We know right from wrong. We know when the Spirit of God is prompting us. And, it, and it's not grotesque things. It's little things. We know when our pride is getting in the way. We know when we're acting in an arrogant or irresponsible manner. We know those things. But we see the pattern coming and we don't seize the moment and do the right thing. Let me encourage you to make 2021 the year where the temptation is seized, not seizing you. Perhaps you're a person who struggles with a sense of foreboding or fear. And that fear could be debilitating. 1 John 4.18 tells us that perfect love casts out fear. Isaiah 41.10 and 13 says this, So do not fear, for I am with you. Do not be dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you and help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. For I am the Lord your God who takes hold of your right hand and says to you, Do not fear, I will help you. Friends, if you place your trust in Jesus, he is the perfect match that drives away fear. Sometimes you may feel weak. You may feel cowardly. Joshua 1.9 says, Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. For the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. The courage that God gives is the perfect answer when you are weak. As a follower of Christ, you are not alone. You may struggle with fear. You may struggle with weakness. But he will give you the courage that you need to persevere in the times of trial. Perhaps you feel a profound sense of loss. 2020 has been a difficult year for many, and we've lost things that we love, things that we care about, things that are part of our lives. The Apostle Paul experienced this firsthand and wrote in Philippians, Indeed, I count everything as lost because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ. When you allow the Holy Spirit into the circumstances involving loss, I believe that he gives us eyes to see the circumstance for what it is, not in the moment, but in the light of eternity. 
As a result, over time, experiences of loss become events that are part of a perfect plan that God has for each one of us, that we may be more effective in ministering to others because we can identify with them in their time of deepest need. Perhaps you find yourself suffering physically or you experience chronic pain. Know that Jesus experienced the most profound suffering known to humankind as he hung on a cross. It was so bad they had to invent a new word for it, excruciating. You'll find that allowing Christ into your suffering helps you to perfect your faith. You realize what's important in ways that you never anticipated. You recognize that you're dependent on Christ for every breath in a way that you could not have known outside of the experience of suffering and pain. Because suffering produces a sense of gratitude in the believer that the world looks at and cannot understand, but cannot explain away. Because the presence of God in the midst of suffering is bigger than the suffering itself. Maybe you struggle with something simple like making decisions. Perhaps you're one of those people that sees every side to every argument and it paralyzes you and you can't make a choice. You can't act. James 1 verse 5 says, If any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God who gives generously to all without finding fault and it will be given to you. Friends, if we truly seek God, we will find ways to make difficult decisions in 2021. Maybe you feel in bondage to sin. There's some besetting sin that has completely bound you up, so much so that you can't escape on your own. And add to this is a feeling of powerless that comes with such dependency on whatever this thing may be. And we feel so deep in it that we cannot escape. John 8, 36 says, If the Son of God sets you free, you are free indeed. Jesus is the perfect deliverer. He's the only deliverer of sin. And even when you cannot help yourself, Christ longs to set you free. Sometimes we experience a sense of loneliness, that we've been abandoned by those that we love. Sometimes it feels as though we might die from a broken heart. Psalm 34, verse 18 says, The Lord is near to the brokenhearted and saves the crushed in spirit. I know it can feel hopeless. I know it can feel shattering. But God's word tells us that Jesus knows the pain of abandonment. Jesus knows what it is to be crushed in spirit. He longs for you to reach out to him in those times so that he can hold you tightly to himself. <clears throat> the worst part of feeling abandoned or feeling alone and broken and lonely is that this can become a foothold for Satan. Feelings that are not turned over to Christ can become a root of bitterness that eventually will bloom. And it blooms as self-pity. And it blooms as anger against God. These things are counter to the love of God. They are a lie from the evil one. We need to take our eyes off the situation or the thing that breaks our hearts. 
and make Jesus the only source of comfort. It may be that radical surgery is required and we need to put aside the relationship that is consuming us. We need to forsake that something that is so harmful and allow Jesus through the Holy Spirit to take the place of that person or that circumstance or that situation or that would-be friend. Let me be really honest. Jesus knows exactly what you're experiencing. And he longs to bring you through it in a way that will make perfect the circumstance in which you find yourself. Offer it to him. When you do, your entire perspective can be transformed. Where before you felt that loneliness and abandonment and pain were enemies, you will come to recognize that your experiences are precisely the gift that God has in mind for you to use to help others in, in crisis or times of deep pain. Let me be really clear. If you're in Christ, your life is no longer your own. My life is no longer my own. Your life is no longer your own. If you are in Christ, it's about your opportunity to serve the kingdom of God. And it's only out of your deepest feelings of pain that you minister to people most effectively the grace of God. If you've walked that way, you can talk that way to another who's in need in a way that only you can understand. But if you hold it to yourself, you'll be consumed by it. So let it go. Trust God in the midst of the brokenness. How about this? Perhaps you feel God forsaken. Let me assure you that your feelings are a lie if that's your condition. If you feel like God has abandoned you and forsaken you entirely. Hebrews 13 verse 5 promises that God will never leave you or forsake you. Jesus longs to be in perfect communion with you. That is precisely the opposite of your feelings. The feelings aren't right or wrong. It's what you do with the feelings that's right or wrong. If a feeling is wrong, then you need to call it for what it is. It's a lie. And you need to trust the word of God to be true. And if God says that you're not forsaken, he'll never leave you or forsake you, then you know that's true. Because God's word is true. Perhaps it's so bad that you feel worthless. That you don't matter anymore. Maybe it's that the world would be better off if you were no longer there. I read recently, and this absolutely stunned me, that one in four people under the age of 25 have contemplated suicide this year because of the impact of COVID on their lives. One in four young people under the age of 25 were desperate enough to contemplate suicide because of loneliness and isolation and despair resulting from this, from this virus. Let me say this unequivocally to every person sitting here. You are of infinite worth to the one who made you. You were known by God before you were a gleam in your parents' eye. You were loved by God from the very foundation of the world. Psalm 139 says you are fearfully and wonderfully made. 
And let me tell you something. Your worth doesn't come from what's within you. Your worth doesn't come from your achievements. Your worth doesn't come from your relationships or from any external source. You are made in the image of God. If you were in solitary confinement or lost on a desert island, you'd still not be alone. God loves you. Your life has value. The God who made you wants you for himself. Jesus longs to deepen his relationship with you now and every day in the future that he gives you to live. Turn to him and find your worth in a relationship with a perfect creator. Let's even talk about the unmentionable. Let's talk about death. Let me suggest this morning that it's even possible to die well. And if 2021 calls you to die, that you can die perfectly in that year. Not in the manner of your passing, not in some heroic act, not in some circumstance surrounding your demise, but in the way that you allow the Savior to usher you from this life to the next. The last great enemy of human race is death. But in Christ, death has been swallowed up in victory. If you want to experience the perfect death, cling to Jesus. Allow him to infuse your every breath. Cast yourself completely on him and trust that he will bring you to glory so that you can enter into your rest. Psalm 23 says, Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. We're on the verge of 2021. And in 2021, life is going to happen. By this I mean that things are not likely to go smoothly. Some or all of the challenges that I've laid out this morning or something that I have not yet anticipated could come your way. Probably will come your way. But if you are in Christ, then this morning I can assure you, you do not face life on your own or unprepared. The good news is that Jesus Christ is not just an adequate match. He's not just a good match for the circumstance that you face. He is the perfect match and the only guarantee of a life lived well. Just as the birth of Marissa Ayala gave new life to her sister Anissa, so Jesus is ready to give you new life. In eternity, yes, but not only in eternity. Regardless of the circumstances that you are facing, Jesus has come to give you new life right now. And I exhort you, as you leave this place and as you look to 2021, that you surrender your brokenness to the only perfect match who can deliver you from spiritual death and the experiences of pain this day. Let's pray together. God, your word is true. Our relationship with you is not just about salvation in the by and by, it's in the here and now. 
And I pray, Lord, that as we look at our lives, we would recognize that we have an unbelievable opportunity to engage life today with you and through the power of your Holy Spirit, with every breath that we take, with every circumstance that comes our way, with every situation that we see, Lord, with every broken person that we meet, you are there and you give us the right to respond as your sons and as your daughters. God, use your spirit to draw us deep into you this year and let us the circumstances of life only point us more and more toward the Savior, in whose name we pray. Amen. We're going to sing together. The hymn is in your book. And I didn't bring up.